And before we begin, let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to gather both in person and online. I pray that you will take center stage now, that our focus will remain on you and your word, that um, the things that I have prepared will melt away to what you would have us learn today. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Um, real quick, if there are any young kids in here, uh, Miss Cindy has an activity in the back. So if you did not hear about that, she's back there. <clears throat> the boy was at a loss for words as his knees hit the cheap, low pile, very cheap carpet next to his bed, and in the silence, a tear ran down the right side of his face, and a soft yet unmistakably frustrated why escaped through his clenched teeth. His hands were clasped just like he had been taught, and his head was bowed just as he had observed so many other people at church do throughout his life. And then the tears, they started to flow freely. And with a posture that half showed reverence and half unmistakable defiance, he lifted his eyes toward heaven and emotionally cried out, Why? It's been about 16 years since that moment, and it is still burned deep into my memory. Because compared to that night, all the other memories I have of the first year out of high school are like shadows and sketches. Uh, I can remember the room. I can remember the color. I can remember the smell. I remember everything about that night. And I think beyond simply the emotion of the moment, I remember that night because it was one of the first times that I genuinely, without pretense, spoke with the God that I claimed to follow. But what came next out of my mouth said more about my attitude than it did about my Heavenly Father. And today, I have the honor of sharing God's Word with you. And we're going to take a look at what the Bible says about prayer. We're going to talk about um, how prayer reflects our attitude and our opinion of God. And along the way, I'm going to share a bit of my testimony. And my hope is that you will be receptive this morning to the Holy Spirit and be strengthened in your faith by having your understanding of prayer deepened and expanded. We're going to dive right in with a crash course on what the Bible has to say about prayer because it comes up a lot. Now, keep in mind, it says a whole lot more than these couple slides, but we don't have hours and hours and hours. So, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Philippians 4.6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I know I'm going fast, but it's up there, and it's also on the note sheet. So, Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. 1 Timothy 2, 1 says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made known, or be made for all people. Colossians 4, 2 Continue steadfastly in prayer, 
being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Psalm 34, 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Jeremiah 29, 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. That's just like scratching the surface. There's so much that Scripture has to say about prayer. So it sounds like we should consider prayer to be important, yes? This means yes. I'm just making sure, okay? But what is prayer? I want you to take a moment. Close your eyes if you need to. I want you to answer that question for yourself based on nothing else other than where you are currently at in your walk with God. What is prayer? Because if you ask a random person on the street for a definition of prayer, you'll probably get a variation of a few typical responses. Prayer is, they might say, uh, when a person talks to whatever higher power they believe in. Or um, prayer is expressing thanks for your food. Um, prayer is stress relief. It, it, it helps you get things off your mind. It makes you feel better about yourself. Well, prayer is useless. Uh, why would anyone expect an answer from God? Um, prayer is a way of figuring out your problems. It's, it's recentering yourself. I take issue with all of those responses, all of those answers. Theologically, they're not correct. But at the same time, I feel guilty because I know that many of them describe how I have seen prayer at various points in my life. It's how I've treated prayer at various points in my life. I've treated prayer as personal therapy to help me through a hard time. I've casually told individuals that I will pray for them and then not done so because really I just wanted out of that conversation. Be like, oh, I'll pray for you. I've done that and I feel horrible about it. I've been flippant with thanking God for his blessings, rattled off the Lord's prayer or that go-to dinner prayer that me and my siblings said every meal for years. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we all are fed. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We would, like, have competitions to see how fast we could say it at the dinner table. I know this. What is prayer seems like such a simple question to answer, especially having read all that scripture, admittedly fast. All that scripture tells us that it's important. We know that it's important, but we Christians don't always act like it because we don't know it's important. You get what I'm saying? Our prayers reflect our attitudes. So let's ignore our personal biases for a few mom moments. We're going to take in, we're going to make an effort to think about it in a more academic way. We're going to really attempt to answer what is prayer. So first, depending on who you ask, there are quite a few different categories that prayer can be classified into. We're going to keep it simple. We're going to lump them into four main categories. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And an easy way to remember that is the acronym ACTS, like the book of the Bible. Okay? I have no idea who originally came up with this, but it's clever, so we're going to use it. I just can't take you know, the credit for it. Adoration. Let's break this down. Adoration, far more than just singing. It, 
It's the proclaiming of God's goodness and his holiness. Confession is admitting our sin guilt, admitting that we have screwed up to our loving and good Father. Thanksgiving, more than turkey, it is recognizing God for who he is and what he has done. A supplication is a fancy word for requests, because request starts with R and it wouldn't fit with acts. You needed the ass in there. Supplication, it's our request to God to do something through his mighty powers. Like, God, please do this. Now, unfortunately, have I, have I lost anybody yet? No? Oh, thank you. Unfortunately, most of us stick with the supplication or request category. God, give me the answers to this test that I forgot to study for because there was something else better going on last night. And God, get me out of this speeding ticket. I was only 10 over. Just get me out of this, please. God, be with this person who is ill. Now, there is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with asking God to take care of our needs. As we just read Psalm 34, 17, a few minutes ago, that confirms that. It says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. So please do not think that we shouldn't bring our quests to God. I am definitely not saying that, and if you say that I said that, you weren't listening. Okay? I'm just making sure. Okay? But what I'm saying is that when our prayers stick to only that category, we are preventing ourselves from truly grasping the beauty of what prayer is. If we only focus on the requests and forget the other categories, we miss out. The acts categories, they give us four basic separations for what prayer is, but regardless of if you stick with those four or you go with many more, because some people do, the best single all-encompassing definition, in my opinion, would be that prayer is a personal conversation with God. And that sounds simple. It's only seven words. But as with anything we're thinking about, it's deeper than that. So let's break it down. Um, it's personal. It's not just you lost in a crowd, just a sea of faces. You are seen individually. You are noticed individually. It's a conversation. We not only talk, but we also listen. Okay? And it's with God. God, the creator. I've been at Do It E Free for almost seven months now. I've had good personal conversations with many of you. Think about the conversations you've had throughout your life with, with the people closest to you, with your friends and with your family. Think about uh, the connection that is made in those conversations. The deepening of those friendships, the trust that comes as a result of those conversations. Prayer is having all of that, but with God, the creator of all that exists. You name it, he made it. Prayer is having a personal conversation with him. Okay? But have you ever wondered, keeping that in mind, if, if, if prayer is such a big thing, why God wants that connection with us at all? 
Sometimes when we are asked to pray in a group, like youth group, we act like we are being tasked with approaching some cruel king far away. Me? Oh no. Um, I don't want to. Please don't make me. I, what, did, what did I do? I, I, I can't. I, no, I, I don't have the words to say. Please don't make me talk to them. You think I'm joking, but I'm not. Like that's, that's how we treat it when we're asked to pray publicly. But it's not like that at all. Like your Father in heaven loves you more than you can possibly fathom. John 3, 16, that verse that so many kids memorize and we can rattle off so easily, says that he loved the world so much that he gave his son for us. Easter, technically over, but it's not against the rules for us to talk about it, so, you know, humor me for a moment, okay? Jesus willingly suffered and died in what has been called by many physicians and historians the absolute cruelest way to die that humanity has ever conceived. So when you read in 1 Corinthians 11, when we're doing the, the communion, that his body was broken for you, it is quite literal. And yet knowing all of that, it's so easy for our attitudes to be rude and selfishness or to be like, oh, God doesn't want to hear from me. God, no, he doesn't care. Why, why, why should I pray? We know these verses, we know these truths, but we don't let them sink deep and really affect our attitudes. And I keep mentioning attitude this morning because thinking about how or thinking about what our understanding of prayer is and why we pray, it reveals our attitude. It reveals how we think about God. Often we are only focused on, on our requests in a me, 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 me sort of way without also adoration, confession, thankfulness, especially listening. And we think of our creator as, as a, a magical genie who is standing by only to grant us wishes. And we pray with a lack of humility, an inflated sense of ego. And we act like our prayers can order him around. And we demand things of him because it's all about us. It's what we want. And I wish, I really, really wish that the story that I began with this morning was over. But it's not. That prayer I prayed, the conversation that I had with my creator and my Father God communicated an attitude that viewed the Lord as a means to an end. See, as with any good story, I had recently become attached to a girl. It wasn't Stephanie, not yet. I had recently been dumped, actually, by someone else. And my entire view of Christian dating, courtship, whatever you want to call it, was stepped on. And I couldn't handle the prospect of yet another Christian church girl turning me down after all the quote-unquote right things I had done. I had checked off all the boxes. I had been the good Christian kid. And now everything was crumbling. So I had thrown myself into this new relationship with this new girl, and I had become completely over-the-top committed to this relationship that wasn't really a commit uh, relationship over the past two months. And we just had the DTR conversation, the define the relationship conversation. I hate those. Side note, in Bible college, 
like if two people went off by themselves, they're like, oh, they're DTRing. <laughs> because it got, yeah. Our catchphrase was a ring by Springer, your money back. So it was, there was a lot of those. Anyway. As I knelt there in my bedroom, it was right after we had that conversation and it looked like she didn't want a future with me. And I was devastated because it was like salt being poured on an open wound and my true attitude towards God was revealed in a fit of anger and sorrow and confusion and I straight up yelled at my creator. Why, God? Why are you doing this to me again? Again, I remember this vividly. Don't you dare take her away. Don't you do it. I know I'm supposed to be quoting Jesus right now and be all, not my will but yours, but I can't, and I'm tired of it, God. And it's because of you that I got dumped. It's because of you that nothing's going right. I played by your rules, and all I have to show for it is heartache. And don't you dare take her away. I want her. I'm finally happy, and I don't want your will if she's not a part of it. Here's another question. Does prayer work? Your attitude will influence your response, which means that your, your answer to that question might be different from the person sitting next to you. So again, I ask, does prayer work? Yes, God listens to us. Prayer works. No, prayer isn't something that works or doesn't work. That's, that's such a childish way to think about it. Well, yes, prayer works. The Bible says that we are invited to have a hand in God's kingdom work through prayer. So yes, prayer works. No, prayer doesn't work. God doesn't give me everything I ask for. If he did, I'd be a millionaire. So no, prayer doesn't work. Depending on where you're at, you could have a different answer for that question. There's a lady in my church growing up who, she got sick, and we all prayed over and over that she'd be healed. We prayed at the dinner table. We prayed during Sunday service. We prayed during youth group, and then she died. And in my young know-it-all mind, because I was the pastor's kid and I knew everything, I thought, well, prayer doesn't work, because I prayed, and she died, and hmm. And I made up my mind as to what should happen. What should happen is she should be healed. God should heal her because that's what I thought was best. And when that didn't work, prayer doesn't work. You see how I made those connections? Does prayer work is just another way of asking, does prayer get me what I want? It is solely focused on what we want and not what God's will is. So instead, let's change the phrasing. Let's ask this, does God listen? And the answer is 100% yes. And our prayers have an effect. And that is a huge theological statement. And for a long time, I did not like it. Because my understanding of God was this old dude in the sky who had already predetermined what he was going to respond with in every given situation. So it doesn't matter if I pray, because tough luck if you don't like what's going on, because God's in control and... It was a faulty view of God. 
because that's not a theologically true viewpoint. We're told, here's a couple more verses, and we're going to go fast. James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask. Luke 11, 9 and 10, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Way back in the Old Testament, we read in Exodus 32 that there came a point where God was so fed up with his people that he was about ready to just destroy them. He's like, I'm going to start over. Moses, you're, from you will be my new people because I'm done. But then Moses prayed and begged God to spare them, and he did. And in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their way, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God listens to us. His creation he allows us to be involved in activities that are eternally important through prayer. And when we pray, we, when we have those personal conversations with our Father God, we often receive the privilege of being observers of miraculous intervention. Not every time do we see it, but often we get to. And it's not because he has to. God is not bound by the magic of folded hands or bent knees. We get to see what he does in the world as a result of prayer because he loves us that much. You get what I'm saying? There is nothing special about this. This does not compel God to listen to you. His love is why he listens. Humanity is so loved by God that he, the creator of all things, says, talk to me. Work with me in caring for this world. And that is huge. And yet so often we pray with arrogance and pride, demanding our own way, because who cares what anybody else wants? It's what we want. And God, you better listen. As terrible as my attitude was that night during my first year of high school, first year out of high school, sorry. God listened. He heard me, and he answered me, and he gave me exactly what I wanted, and it was by far the worst thing that could have happened to me at that point in my life. That girl and I, we dated for a little while, but the closer that I got to her, the further I felt from Jesus. We were just wrong for each other. My family and my friends could see it, and they kept telling me this until I could not deny it any further. I couldn't blame God. I couldn't blame her. I couldn't blame the first girl who broke up with me. The only person who was responsible for my attitude was me. I was the only one responsible for the beginning of my downward spiral because I failed to understand that just because God desires communication with us does not give us the freedom or the right to behave like babies and toddlers. And I say toddlers because I have a four-year-old. We don't get to act like that to God. I love my daughter. She's going to get ice cream after this. Maybe. <laughs> after this is a, it's a different amount of time. You know what? Just shh. <laughs> so I realize, I'm like, do I want her to have ice cream before nap time? No. <laughs> I 
I was arrogant. I was selfish. My attitude was not grounded in humility. I believe that I believe then, I believe now, that God let me have my way because I needed correcting. Even if it required a great personal cost. It took me literal years to repair my spiritual and emotional health as a result of those few months. And I am so thankful that I had to go through it. Because he brought me out. He brought me through it. And because I would have drifted further through him without that experience, I know that God is so good that he was able to use my stupidity for something greater. So we've talked about what prayer is, why we should pray. We've seen some, from Scripture that there is value in prayer because God really does listen. So that leaves us with the question of how we should pray. <clears throat> and we aren't the, the first ones to ask that by any stretch. Jesus was asked by his disciples how to pray. What he taught them is found in Matthew 6. It's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's also found in Luke 11, but I have Matthew 6 here. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's interesting to me is that we often think of this example as a children's prayer. But think about who Jesus was speaking to. These are Jewish men, God's people. Most of them had grown up around the temple. They may have been simple fishermen, but they knew the basics about Yahweh since birth. This was not prayer 101. This was prayer 401. Advanced prayer, to continue the academic analogy. Okay? This is not simple get-start prayer. This is beyond that. Jesus is teaching us in these passages to recognize God not only as our Father in heaven, but also one whose kingdom encompasses everything. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. His will is sovereign. Let his will be done. He provides what we need, gives us our wrongs, guides us down the straight and narrow path. It is not just a children's prayer. It is suitable for all ages. Don't skip over it just because you're like, eh, I'm past that point in my life. If you've never studied this section of Scripture, these like 52 words in, in the English, I encourage you to do so because there is so much happening in this little prayer that Jesus teaches. So I've given you a bad example from my life. So let's see a good example from Scripture. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. 1 Kings 3, 5 through 9. says that Yahweh appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. Can you imagine that? Like, God, who we've established is a pretty big deal, 
shows up and says, what do you want? Ask. It'll be yours. Because we'd expect pretty much anyone to ask for themselves because, duh, we're selfish. Well, God, I want a Tesla, and I want a nicer house, and I want a three-week all-expenses-paid vacation to somewhere tropical because it's been cold, and you know what, God, you better get a pencil and paper because I got a list. No, Solomon doesn't act like that. In verses 6 through 9, he says, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? In this passage, we get a sense of the humble attitude that Solomon has before God. He knew who he was speaking to, It's reflected in how he prays, in the words that he uses, in his attitude. And how different is it from the way that we often pray? If your attitude towards God isn't rooted in humility, with an understanding that the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present Yahweh God loves you individually, then all you're doing is treating him like an Amazon warehouse for your wish list. That's all you're doing. God is so much greater than just, I want this. Give me this. Thank you. Goodbye. One of the main points that the Bible places on our attitude towards our Father in heaven is that we are to come before him with humility. Isaiah 66, 2 says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. James 4, 6, God says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's mentioned over and over. Humility is super important. So here's another example. Turn to Psalm 116. Psalm 116, verses 1 through 11. Those who are at our last uh, young adult group, this is familiar to you. Psalm 116, verses 1 through 11 says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, please save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I believed in you. So I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord. In my anxiety, I cried out to you. 
That's humility. Praying with humility means that we recognize God for who he is and that we are genuinely convinced of his wisdom, love, goodness, and power. It means that when we are faced with insurmountable odds, we can honestly say, I have no idea what's going on right now. I have no idea how I'm going to get through this or put one foot in front of the other, but I know that you, God, are powerful enough to overcome it. There are so many examples in Scripture of prayer. Think of, the, of Jesus in the garden. When he prayed, he's like, if it's possible, God, let this be taken from me, but not my will, but yours. So many examples of attitudes that properly place God above ourselves, and yet our prayers often don't. There is another part of my testimony, and it is seared into my brain with more forcefulness than the other. If you don't mind, I'm going to read this next part because, honestly, it's really hard for me to talk about without losing my composure. June 23rd, 2018 was a morning that will forever be with me, and not just because I believe I experienced divine intervention, but because it was a moment in my life when I cried out to God, in humility, and I truly felt his love and comforting embrace. And please, I don't share this to be all, look at me, I have it figured out, because I don't, okay? I share this in a look at how good our Father God is. Did you get it? Okay. On that morning, I wrote, as a way to process what happened this morning, I've been working on writing about it while it is still fresh in my mind. Logan was delivered via an emergency C-section after his heart rate suddenly dropped to below 50 after being around 120 all night. No exact cause is known for sure as to why the crash happened. We knew that labor had been going great and Steph had been a total rock star, but then there was a flood of nurses in the room joining the midwife. They rushed Steph out of the room before I could figure out what was going on. One of the nurses hurried me out the door towards the OR before I even had time to put on my shoes and attempted to put them on for me. I was told to wait for further instruction in the hallway outside the operating room. After a few minutes alone, another nurse came out to talk to me. And there was only one thing on my mind. What is going on? Are they okay? She told me that because of how urgent things were, I couldn't go back and be with my wife during the surgery. Later, I realized it was because they had to fully sedate her instead of relying on an epidural. Even though she had just been given an epidural about an hour prior for contractions, it wasn't enough medication for a big surgery. If they had waited maybe two minutes for another dose, it might have been enough time to increase the medication, but they couldn't risk waiting that long with what was happening to our son's heart rate. He needed to get out immediately. They quickly put Stephanie fully under so that they could save his life. The nurse put me in a small adjacent room by myself and left. I found myself sitting in a chair, alone, uttering a simple prayer over and over and over again. Oh God, oh God, please no. 
please save my family. Please, God. I got up. I began to pace in that six-foot-by-six-foot room before I had to sit down for fear of fainting. Visions of being on my own to raise my daughter raced through my mind. I called my dad in shock. Dad, I don't know what's happening. Those 10 minutes felt like an eternity. The nurse came back to get me. She led me into the OR newborn stabilization unit. I rounded the corner. I saw five-plus healthcare professionals surrounding my newborn son who had cables stuck all over him and who appeared to not be moving or breathing. I heard monitors beeping alongside the rhythm of air being gently forced into his still little body through an equally small face mask. As I walked toward him, someone said, he's going to be okay, Dad. I have no idea who. What's his name, they asked. Logan, I whispered. I reached out and gently held his hand for the first time. At this point, he began to move more purposefully. The monitor showed that his heart rate had gone back up, which was great, but my concern wasn't fully satisfied. Is my wife okay? I kept asking. Nobody in the room would give me an answer. Their job was to stabilize Logan. Stephanie was still on the table in the other room with doctors and nurses. I kept looking over at the glass wall and glass doors. I could fully see through, and I wanted to run over and check on her. Five minutes passed. Logan was doing much better at this point. At last, the lead surgeon came in to talk to me. Is she okay? I asked for what felt like the hundredth time. Yes, they're closing her up now. There's no rupture. She's going to be okay. The surgeon continued talking about whatever the things were that had happened during the surgery or might have caused it or might not have caused it, but I honestly wasn't listening anymore. I heard the important part. My wife was okay. Still in shock, I just kept telling myself this over and over. I silently praised God for his protection, for all the many doctors and nurses who were working so tirelessly to keep my family together. I picked up our son for the first time, holding him close. I walked over to the sliding glass door and waited for my best friend to wake up. Her eyes started to flicker. I wondered for a moment if she would remember going into surgery. So I wanted the first thing that she saw to be our newborn son alive and well. She opened her eyes, glanced around, and then we locked eyes. And then she flashed a smile. My wife then gave me a thumbs up and then signed, I love you. It was the single most relieving thing I have ever experienced in my life. A couple minutes later, we reunited. I was able to place Logan into his mommy's arms. After texting family that everything was okay, I finally got to take a deep breath for what felt like the first time all morning. And with that, the wave I had been holding back broke over me, 
I burst into tears of relief. I thought I lost you. I thought you were gone. I know, but I'm okay now. Thank you to all the professionals at Legacy Salmon Creek. Thank you for saving my son's life. Thank you for bringing my wife back to me. Thank you, God, for your unfailing love. Thank you for holding me together in the midst of chaos. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us or intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I did not have the prayers to pray in that moment other than what I cried out from the deepest part of my soul. I wasn't eloquent. I'm sure I stammered and stuttered. I hadn't prepared poetry that echoed King David in the Psalms, but I needed help. I called, he answered, and he came to my rescue. Let's close with Hebrews 4.16, which says, Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We've talked about a lot today. What is prayer? Why should we pray? Does it even matter and does it work? Well, how should we pray? If you take nothing else away from our time together, I want you to hold on to this. God hears and listens when you pray because he loves you. So make sure that your attitude reflects that truth so that when you pray, you humbly follow the examples laid out in Scripture. It's not about just, God, give me, God, give me, God, give me. It's, God, you are so good and so mighty and humbly, God, I ask you for, for help. God, I thank you for your goodness and grace. God, I confess that I am broken and I am not able to save myself. God, you are good. A good, good father to us. The God we serve reigns in power, not as some far-off deity that is uninterested in our lives, not as some genie who grants wishes as long as we posture ourselves in just the right way or on just the right days, but as our Father in heaven who loves and desires to hear from us. That is who we talk to. That is who we have personal conversations with. And if you don't realize that, you're missing out. Let's pray. God, sometimes we, we don't even know what to say other than thank you for who you are. Thank you for your kindness, your goodness. We are sorry for how we, we treat you, Lord, how we so often think about ourselves only. 
God, we pray that you will become the forefront, the, the center point in our lives. We thank you for all your blessings, for holding us together when hard times are overwhelming, for surrounding us with friends and family who love and care for us. We know that every good and perfect thing comes from you, Lord. As we go our ways today, I pray that you will keep this truth rooted in our minds, that we will remember to be humble before you. In your son's Jesus' name, I pray, amen.